Hello and welcome to the third series of Insights, the podcast from Understanding Society. Understanding Society is a longitudinal survey that captures life in the UK in the 21st century. Every year we ask each member of thousands of the same households across the UK about different aspects of their life. Each episode of Insights explores how our data has been used in a key area. We look at what we found and what we can learn from it. I'm Catherine MacDonald, your host for this episode, where we'll be looking at the role of religion in mental health. Joining me to discuss this are Ozan Aksoy, Associate Professor in Social Science at University College London, and the Reverend Dr Malcolm Brown, Director of Faith and Public Life at the Church of England. Ozan, I'd like to start by asking you about your research, if I may. So you looked at whether religious involvement made people more trusting and pro-social. Can you explain what you mean by pro-social? And can you also tell us how you did that research? So there are conflicting theories in the literature about what kind of effects religious involvement might have on pro-social behaviour and attitudes. On the one hand, all religions involve some sort of golden rule, do good kind of messages, and also attending services, being involved in religion also helps people develop their skills to do good as well as abilities. But on the other hand, there is also some theories that predict the reverse. For example, people might be more concerned about their in-group when they attend, say, services more or more engaged with religion. And there's also a peculiar, interesting theory from psychology, which, which is called moral licensing. So if you feel more subject to a kind of divine moral authority, people might be less inclined with, with the morals of the mundane. So there has been findings, for example, religious drivers might be more likely to double park or religious books are more likely to be kept overdue and so on. So there are these conflicting theories as to how religion affects prosocial behavior. And we just wanted to test these effects using amazing data from understanding society, because we first want to rule out confounders of religious involvement and prosocial behavior, for example, personality, upbringing, socioeconomic status. And also we would like to tease out what we call social scientists as reverse causality. Is it religion that affects prosocial behavior or do prosocial behavior make people more engaged religiously? So we needed longitudinal data to do this methodologically. As to what we mean by prosocial behavior, we looked at a range of indicators. One is trusting others. This is called generalized trust. It's a very widely used outcome in social science research. Do you think that most people can be trusted? That's one outcome. We also looked at how often people volunteered in a given year. And also we looked at, that was something that Understanding Society data provided us with, is the interviewer, after having conducted the interview, rates how cooperative the respondent was during the interview, which is a kind of externally judged behavioral measure of how cooperative one is. And we thought that would be interesting to have a look at. So we basically looked at how religious involvement, how much people attend to religious services, affected these three outcomes that um, that we considered. And so tell us what you found. So what we found is that people who attended more frequently to religious services had a higher generalized trust. They volunteer more frequently 
and they're perceived more cooperative by by the interviewers uh, during the interview. So it seems that there's a positive link between religious involvement and all these three outcome measures that we measured on average, but there has been some differences between different religious traditions. Yes. So can we explore those differences? Because am I right in saying the effects were weaker for other indicators of religious involvement? Can you tell us a bit about that? That's correct. And that's, in fact, something that we keep finding. So it is really service attendance that seems to move the needle, so to speak. So that has an effect. But other indicators suggest, such as subjective importance of religion, does not seem to have these positive effects. And in fact, sometimes it might have a negative effect. So it is attendance that seems to have an effect, but not these other indicators such as subjective importance. And there are also differences across different religious traditions too. Yes. Can you tell us about those? So these positive effects that I described uh, were mainly found for Anglicans and other Protestants in the UK. So This research that I mentioned is conducted in the UK. So the effect was there for Anglicans and other Protestants. It was absent for Catholics and other minority religions, such as Muslims and Hindus in the UK. And in fact, some outcomes had a negative, even negative association with attendance for some minority religions. So there is this heterogeneity across religious traditions. And why do you think these differences exist? Am I right in saying that that what your research has found out is that if a person regularly attends their church or their place of worship, the effects are positive in terms of the attributes that you've been describing or the behaviours you've been describing, But other religious indicators, so that I might be uh, practicing my faith, but not attending a place of worship, change. Have I oversimplified that? Or is that actually what what you're saying? So it seems that the social aspect of religious engagement have these effects. So going to service, talking to other people, seeing people, interacting with others. It's this social aspect that seems to matter uh, more than other inner aspects of religion, it seems. That's also encouraging because it means that we can learn from religion and transport this to, say, other non-religious contexts too. So if you want to improve cooperativeness, trust, and so on, we can learn from religion and generate this positive interactive social outcomes in, in other secular domains too. And also, I mentioned differences across different religious traditions, and you ask why they might be. So these positive effects were mostly for Anglicans and other Protestants, but not for, say, Catholics and Muslims or Hindus. I must say, we don't really know why, but this is the UK context, and the former religious traditions, Anglicans and other Protestants, they are numerically dominant. So they are they might be more engaged with the, with the wider wider society, the activities they organize, seem to cross-cut other groups, religious groups. Um, So they seem to be more open. Whereas other religious traditions may be more inward-looking, perhaps because they they have a minority status or they face hostility from the wider society. That's maybe why being engaged in, in religious activities among these minority religions may not generate the same type of positive outcomes that we see for Anglicans and and other Protestants. But more research is needed to really understand why these differences. For example, we need to look at, say, contexts where these other religions, such, such as 
Catholicism, Muslim religion or Hindu, they also have a same majority status. That's so interesting. So you were looking at levels of things like, as you say, trust, volunteering, cooperativeness, all generally considered pro-social behaviours. So was the assumption then that an increase in these things led to improved mental health in that person? In this particular research, we didn't really make any assumption as to how these pro-social attitudes and behaviours might be related to mental health. So we separately looked at how religious engagement is linked with mental health. But there is research in the literature which which shows that pro-social behavior and attitudes in general has a positive link with mental well-being and mental health. So in the research that you just mentioned, where you did specifically look at mental health and the connection with religion, what did you find there? So we in fact found consistent results. So service attendance, this social interactive aspect of religious engagement, has positive links with mental well-being. But other indicators of religious involvement, such as subjective importance of religion, etc., they don't seem to generate these positive outcomes. It's again this attendance uh, dimension that seems to be protective or positive for, for health. Again, we also found differences across different religious traditions. For example, Muslims, Bangladeshi and other minority Muslims seem to have worse mental well-being to start with compared with members of other other religious groups. And do you think the the kind of uh, the reasons for that are the same, that actually it hinges on the social aspect that is the key to improving mental health? And that's why religious attendance is the key factor. It seems so, yes. So that's some consistent finding that we keep observing in the data. So it is the social, interactive, in-person uh, engagement has these positive aspects. So they, they seem to generate these positive outcomes, both in terms of prosocial behavior and attitudes, as well as health. Whereas these inward looking in-person um, dimensions of religious engagement do not seem to have gener- generate these positive positive outcomes. And in fact, sometimes could have negative links with well-being as well. It's so interesting. Malcolm, what's your reaction to um, Ozan's research? Well, it's really fascinating stuff. And my first response was to be really grateful that Ozan hasn't just taken a simplistic category and called it religion, as some people do, um, contrasting religion and secular attitudes, because religion is such a multifaceted phenomenon, as he's he's absolutely clearly nailed down here. As I I, I looked at his work, I I kept thinking of a friend of mine who's a professional statistician who has a T-shirt that says, correlation does not imply causation on it um, as a kind of permanent reminder not to leap to explanations. But of course, being a non-statistician, I look at this kind of work and crave for explanations. Why is this? Um, And I, I have to kind of hold myself back from thinking, obviously it's this or surely it's that. Um, and I'm I'm very pleased, you know, another mark of Ozan's sheer professionalism is that he said, you know, more research is needed. It always is. But my first response really is to think about the differences here between different religious traditions and their and, and the impact of practicing those traditions. 
my first thought, as he's identified Anglicans particularly, um, identifying with the Church of England at some level ties you into the history of this country. Um, it ties you in quite literally at one level to the establishment, even if you don't feel very much part of the establishment politically. It must be very different in other religious contexts where, as, as Ozan's hinted, um, the experience of those communities may be one of marginalisation and uh, incomprehension by others. I'm fascinated by the the interesting question, to what extent religion is about building relationships with what I think he called the in-group, my co-religionists, and to what extent it's about relationships that carry out from the religious community into the wider community. I mean, every religious person inhabits numerous communities. Their co-religionists is only one part of that. There's a very famous saying from Archbishop William Temple from the 1940s that Christianity is a worldview where the measure of it is the impact it has on other people, not on you. It's about how your beliefs play out for the good of others. And it's quite nice, I must say, as you know, as an Anglican to hear some of that apparently reinforced here. But that strikes me as really interesting. If your religious experience is about solidarity in times of trouble and marginalization, it will be, I think, a very diff different experience to identifying yourself very strongly with the traditions and history of the wider community. And uh, I, I'm really interested in that aspect, how the status of all religions is changing. As, as you may know from the last uh, census survey, it was the first time that those with uh, professing no religion outnumbered those who had some religion. The secularization theory, I don't think, works as it's often expected to. There are some really interesting growth areas for religion uh, globally and in this country. But all the same, as religion and, you know, religions like Anglicanism and traditional Protestantisms um, become less associated with being part of the mainstream. I wonder what changes we might see if uh, Ozan's uh, research was run again in, say, 10, 20 years' time. I, all, all in all, um, I think it's got some very interesting questions raised here for people of faith. Well, one thing I don't see in, in, in the research is how much what people believe about God or about Christ, whatever it may be, are part of the causation of the pro-social behaviours. I, and I just don't obviously don't know what the answer to that would be. Within a faith group, people tend to focus very much on orthodoxy, on believing the right things, and less on orthopraxis, which is doing the right things. Um, here we're looking at the impact on behaviours, on praxis, and I'm fascinated by what possible connections there may be that other research might show between what a faith teaches about the relationship of the individual to society, about the relationship of the person to the community, to the religious community, to the wider community. How much does what is taught influence this? And how much is it more behavioural? After all, when else do we meet with groups of people who we haven't chosen every one of those relationships? We may have chosen to go to church or to the mosque or whatever it is, but the people we will meet there are not just those we've chosen to meet.
that's a really quite interesting set of relationships which isn't replicated i think all that often in modern society where so many relationships are simply chosen possibly for their utility to the individual possibly for reasons of kinship whatever it, it strikes me there may be something in that about the, the attendance point that ozan has picked out and then there's the question what do we do when we attend a religious gathering of some kind how how is the activity how is the belief how is the teaching all welded together and I, it just has set my imagination flowing, um, the, this research. And I, I, I just want to congratulate Ozan on some very interesting work. And Ozan, would you like to to come in there? What's your reaction to Malcolm's reaction um, to your research? Um, thank you, Malcolm. There are a few really important points raised here. Uh, the first thing, correlation versus causality is um, is is a point well taken. And um, I have to mention here that the fantastic data set Understanding Society provides here, because to really tease out correlation versus causality as much as we can, that's what ideally we want to do, Understanding Society provides longitudinal data. So the same set of people are interviewed over and over again, uh, multiple times. So what we're looking at in most of this research is changes within person. So people increasing their attendance or decreasing their attendance and what that within person change, how that is related to the changes within person changes in the outcome. So that gives us some leverage as to teasing out this correlation versus causality. And we can also look at say reverse causality account for that with our analysis because of this longitudinal nature uh, of the understanding society data. But that's obviously a very important point. Teasing out causality from correlation is a kind of ideal place and we strive to reach there, but it's never going to be perfect. That, that That's absolutely understood. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know with a longitudinal study like this, how long you've been uh, interviewing people, how often and how long you intend to go on doing so? Yes, so understanding society has been building on this British household panel survey, which has been running for a qu quite a long time, I think, starting from 1990s. And understanding society, the first wave is 2009, and it has been run since 2009, and people have been interviewed regularly. So we are talking about really a long time period. And it, it is going to be fascinating to look at how these things change over time, Malcolm, as, as you mentioned, because religion has been evolving and the number of people who report belonging to no religion has been rapidly increasing. So all these associations will likely change as well. That's why it's important to have this long-term perspective. We, in fact, compared the results we get from British Household Panel Survey, which is the older data set versus understanding society, so far, uh, the associations seem to hold. But as you say, we will be extremely interested in to see what happens in the next decade or so. And, and does any of your data relate? Um, you hinted, and I, I tried to expand on, the relationship of a particular faith community to wider society in terms of whether that membership of the faith community is essentially, I mean, to use a, a more emotive word, is it reassuring that you're kind of a mainstream person 
or is it tending to suggest that you're a minority and and perhaps vulnerable? Has that that criterion been part of uh, the exploration here? Because it does strike me that some religions make a really, you know, particularly very minority ones, make a big deal of being over against everybody else. Some of them are over against because of historic factors that only apply in England, and and others uh, never think of their faith as putting them over against anybody. Do you get the the kind of distinctions I'm I'm trying to pick there? Yes, this is a this is a again another very good point that I'm glad that we could really talk about. So we see these differences across different religious traditions in the UK with the UK data. So we cannot really distinguish these two. Are Anglicans and other Protestants, you know, attendance increase for social outcomes for these groups specifically? Is it because they have this majority status and they're part of the establishment? Or is it something really inherent in, in the religious tradition itself? We cannot really tease this apart with the data that we have so far. So to really address your question, Malcolm, I think we should look at these in other contexts too, where, for example, Catholics, Muslims, or Hindus do not have a religious minority status. Do we observe same outcomes in other contexts too? Or we can pin down into the actual teachings that people uh, might hear in, in these service attendances. But for to answer that question, we definitely need more research, possibly in other contexts than the UK. And, and if I could just raise one other interest, well, it's interesting to me, let's put it that way. People who leave religions do so for many different reasons, but sometimes they're, they're, it's a sudden disillusion. It may be that the leadership of that community is proved to be unreliable, untrustworthy. It may be a, a blinding flash of insight. It may be peer group pressure. But um, in terms of mental health and attitudes to wider society, we hear quite a lot of stories, particularly in, in the media, of people who've left religion in a disillusioned state of mind. It strikes me that someone's personal story might go from religion being very important in their attitudes to uh, social uh, engagement, very important in terms of their mental health, and then have all that turned on its head because essentially leaving a religion, religious tradition is like standing your worldview on its head rather abruptly. And I wondered whether in the course of a longitudinal study that sort of question had come out so that uh, religion went from being a, a positive to a negative for someone rather than just flowing through as um, you know various levels of indifference. So what we see when we look at mental well-being is that those who report no religion, belonging to no religion, do not have worse mental well-being than people who say they have a religion. Um, however, attendance itself improves mental well-being, and obviously it improves mental well-being more for people who report to have a religion. Non-religious people, some of them also report to attending religious services. But for them, service attendants do not have the same positive uh, protective outcome as people who are religious. And also importance of religion, that's something that has been also surprising for us. Importance of religion seems to have a negative link with mental well-being, and that's another puzzling aspect. So attendance, again, the social in-person in dimension of engagement seems to be protective 
but the subjective importance do not seem to have that positive link. If anything, we found some negative indicators for some outcome measures that we looked at. And that's also something which puzzled us. Is it due to some, you know, some form of guilt associated with some religious beliefs? Or does it reflect a religious upbringing? Or is it really, again, correlation versus causality, a methodological issue that we've just talked about? But that's that's a puzzling, interesting fascinating outcome too. I, I, I love these puzzles. I, obviously, w- working for a, a religious organization, we're, we're constantly looking out for data and research and insights that help us to understand ourselves as much as anything. Because in, in a religious context, certainly in the Church of England, people very often move from anecdote to uh, as if it were fact you know this is how it looks to me therefore that's how everyone must behave and part of my job is trying to challenge that quite a lot of the time um but i i love the point about attendance because we tend sometimes to be a bit sniffy about attendance as if it's not just being there but it's what you believe that counts um i'm fascinated by this work that sh- suggests that actually attendance has its own value and attendance in a religious context shapes behaviours. That's really interesting in the context of my work, where we're constantly trying to uh, get the behaviours and the beliefs to correlate, well, not correlate, but to flow together, um, so that uh, there's a consistency in how people work out their beliefs in practice. Looking at it from the point of view of attendance as the factor that you're examining, and some things seem to flow from that, it's just a new thought to me in some respects to focus my thinking somewhat differently. It makes me look at the huge variety, even within the Church of England, of what it is that people attend when they go to church, ranging from, you know, the very traditional, you know, a cathedral sung even song right through to the epitome of the happy clappy, as it's called, you know, the the charismatic services uh, where there's very little structure. One of the factors that is pretty much common is singing. And so I wonder about singing. I mean, apart from singing in the bath, whoever sings these days, unless you're in a band? Just These are just questions that flow through my head as a result of this research that um, I think I'm going to have to take quite some time to digest. Can I just jump in and, and ask one thing that sort of keeps coming to my mind hearing you both have this fantastic discussion is how concerned should we be about the negative effects or the less than positive? So we've established what attendance does. It's a worry, isn't it, about the negative effects of you know other religious indicators? Y- yes. Yeah, so we, we observe this, this negative link with these subjective in-person indicators of religious engagement. And again, before, you know, whether we should worry about these findings or not, we should really understand, I mean, Malcolm raised this fascinating point. What it is, what what is it in attendance that improves uh, mental well-being as well as prosociality? Is it singing? Is it just talking to other people? Is it this? Um, it's important not only to understand how exactly these things play out, but also maybe to to transport these findings to the wider society. If you think from a um, you know, public health perspective, how can we leverage these positive aspects that we find in attendance 
in other domains, in more secular, non-religious domains of life. Uh, so we should really understand, you know, what is there that is really resulting in these positive outcomes and possibly what elements of religious engagement that might have these negative links so we could avoid these negative, you know, negative effects while promoting the positive ones. That's fascinating, isn't it? In, in other words, can you have godless religion and still get benefits? Um, do you have to have some transcendent, some transcendent power in there? I, I'm, I'm interested uh, also in in a phrase that crops up in um, the Bloom report to the government on um, on the importance of religion, where uh, Colin Bloom talks about. I think he says churches. He may say religions. I'm not sure. He calls them schools of virtue, and I think that's not just about what's taught from the pulpit. It's about the ethos that's shared among the people. And in that sense, it, it would be really interesting to see whether a secular philosophy with no God can still be a school for virtue in that sense, not of a teaching, you know, a, a lecture theatre, but a place where virtue is practised and taught and learned just by being among people who, who have a, a way of life. Interesting stuff. Listen, I could sit here and listen to the two of you discussing this all day. There, There is clearly, I mean, Ozan, as you said, there's more research to be done. Malcolm, as you said, you would welcome that as well. It's a great testament to the strength of the Understanding Society data. And I do wish this conversation could go on. I just want to ask a final question to both of you. And that is, what would you like to see happen to the role of religion in society moving forward. And Malcolm, I'll come to you first on that. First of all, I would like more people to recognise, as Ozan has, that religion is not one thing. This isn't about a binary choice between being religious or being secular. Um, religions can be all sorts of things, and they don't all have the same impact on people and communities. Secondly, I would like to see religion, religious beliefs and religious communities valued for the contribution they make to the social fabric and not understood, as some do, as always over against each other. You sometimes hear people talk as if you put a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu in a room together and lock the door and they'll all just kill each other within an hour. The, the more likely outcome is that they'll all find ways of getting out of the door together because they have a lot in common. I would like to hear religion talked about in a way that wasn't just adversarial. But equally, I'd like to have it more widely understood that religious belief and religious practice are not just valuable in instrumental terms. These are worldviews, and everybody has a worldview. It's not that some are acceptable and some are not. It, it's that these are, these are worldviews that talk to people about their place among others, the way they relate, the way they relate to creation, the world, the physical environment, as well as to other people. It's not just a set of choices like what you buy in a supermarket. This is about the fabric of your life and how you relate to others. And in a world where most decisions are understood to be simple personal choices, being a person of faith, whatever the faith, I think, isn't simply a kind of scanning the shelves of what's on offer and deciding I'm going to be one of those. It's much more profound than that. And so it needs a, a different kind of respectful dialogue, which isn't to say it should be protected against criticism, 
but it should be understood in its depth and not as if it were just a slightly irrational choice that slightly bonkers people make. And Ozan, what would you add to that? So there has been two large-scale trends that's been going on that social scientists have been pointing at. One is decline of religion in Western countries. Malcolm mentioned that the proportion of people who report to have no religion has increased in the last decades or so. And at the same time, there's a mental well-being epidemic. So more and more people um, are reporting verse well-being over time. And given the research that I and others have been contact, uh, conducting, these two trends may have been linked causally. Then the question is, what should we do as a society? So obviously, making people more religious, I mean, some people might try uh, doing that, but the secularization trend seems that it's not going to happen. And then the question is, what shall we do? So my my answer is, we try to learn from religion, organized religions, what they do well, and why do they generate these positive outcomes? And how can we transport this, widen this up to, to other schools of thought and ways of lives? That's basically what I could say from my perspective as a, as a researcher, as an academic. But it is ultimately the society, the, the wider uh, society that should decide on what we want to do with religion in, in, in current societies. Ozan Aksoy and the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Brown, thank you so much um, for joining us for this discussion today. It's been absolutely fascinating. You can find out more about how the data from Understanding Society is changing practice and informing policy by visiting the website understandingsociety.ac.uk and following us on social media. This was a research podcast production. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts.